You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Thanks uh, for downloading this fantastic talk with former federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Renato Mariotti. We at The Dworkin Report have had a lot of questions on our mind now that Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, has pled guilty to a litany of crimes. And crucially, he has signed an agreement to cooperate with Special Counsel Mueller. Renato Mariotti is a Yale Law graduate and recently ran in the Democratic primary for Attorney General in Illinois, his home state. He prosecuted white-collar crimes and crime families in Chicago, has also worked for a former independent counsel investigator, Patrick Fitzgerald, who convicted a high-ranking Bush White House official, only to see Trump pardon him to make a very public example about his position on crime. And by that, I mean... Trump's support of crime and criminals. and But that's why we asked Renato the tough questions, like, could Trump pardon away the agreement to cooperate? Did Manafort just forfeit $46 million forever? Will Paul Manafort's testimony alone be enough to convict the Trump family for conspiring with the Russian government? And, of course, legally speaking, can Donald Trump's tweets be used against him in a court of law by Special Counsel Mueller? Renato Mariotti answered all of those questions and a few more. Take a listen. Renato Mariotti, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, let, let's jump into it. You know, you're a former federal prosecutor and your attorney, uh, and, and I just wanted to talk to you, obviously, about what's happened recently. We've got a couple specific questions here for you. Uh, the first one being Paul Manafort turned over $46 million worth of cash assets and real estate to special counsel Mueller in, in his probe. If he gets pardoned by Trump later, does he get his money back or is that ship sailed entirely? That ship has sailed. So he's lost the money. I, I don't, you know, it's it's funny because it's something that people are paying a lot of attention to, partly because Trump is tried to make the cost of the investigation an issue. Uh, but I suspect that, that Manafort was mostly focused on the years uh, that he may be serving in prison. So um, at this point, that ship has sailed. If he's pardoned, uh, it doesn't matter. The, the, the assets have already been forfeited. And if, if, let's say, Trump pardoned Manafort now, would the plea agreement still be binding since it's a lawful agreement and he obtained, for example, a significant financial benefit by avoiding trial? That's a great question. The the it's it's a question that I don't think it's ever happened before. We had a president of the United States pardon somebody who has a cooperation deal in order to prevent them from going forward and cooperating, or or the way he talks about it being a rat, right? I mean, like literally talks as if uh, if they're a criminal. You know, it's it's unprecedented. I don't think that Mueller would seek to enforce the plea agreement against Manafort, but the problem for Manafort is. He's already told Mueller everything he knows, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mueller already um, has or will very soon what we what we used to call as a federal prosecutor, you call it locking them in. So what you do is you literally put him before the grand jury and have him give a statement to the grand jury in which he sets forth what he knows. If he's done that, you know, Mueller can subpoena him and put him on the witness stand and have and try to force him to testify even after the the deal, let's say in this case, falls apart because of the pardon. Uh, and then he would be able to, if, if he moved off that story, Mueller would be able to go to his sworn statement and what, what we call impeaching him. In other words, would be able to confront him with that 
um, false with that sworn statement and show that his testimony is false. Now, obviously, at that point, Mueller, uh, excuse me, Manafort could could uh, take the fifth. Um, or refuse to testify. He has no lawful basis, just to be clear, to take the fifth. Uh, a judge would find him to be in contempt, which Trump would then have to pardon because otherwise he would spend more time in prison for contempt. Um, and you, you'd have kind of an absurd cycle. I'd like to think um, before we have these like law school gymnastics uh, 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 situations that would develop that that Congress would finally start doing its job. But um, I'm not, uh, I'm, you know, who knows at this point? You know, he was found guilty on, on eight counts, mostly tax charges, leaving 10 charges eligible to be retried. In your opinion, did the jury's decision hand Mueller more leverage uh, against Manafort? There's no question because eight guilty verdict on eight counts is not anything that you could possibly spin on the Manafort side is a win. It is a loss. It's a complete unconditional loss on the Manafort side. You know, he, he's convicted felon eight times over. He's going to be, you know, he, he's going to be sentenced based on all of his conduct. So one thing people may not realize about how federal sentencing works is even though there was not a verdict on 10 of the counts, when the judge sentences him, he has to take into account what everything that Manafort did, including um, the counts that were deadlocked. So as a practical matter, a sentence is going to be the same with the eight counts as it would have been with 18. That's a lot of uh, of leverage that they have. We saw in the plea agreement, you know, this uh, on Friday, that the guidelines range, the federal guidelines uh, range is over 200 months. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially a lifetime in prison for somebody at Manafort's age. So very, very serious uh, hammer that Mueller had uh, over, over uh, Manafort. And uh, the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel has issued two opinions saying that indicting a president is too distracting and therefore should not be done. Considering that Trump's public events calendar is generally blank, that he spent a quarter of his presidency visiting Trump properties and are playing golf, uh, do you think that, that uh, Deputy Rosenstein might have requested a revised opinion about indicting the president, taking all that into account? Can a, can a president be indicted, in your opinion? I would not see... Rod Rosenstein taking that kind of step. He is careful, cautious guy. He's a Republican. Don't forget. I don't see him doing anything that's outside the box that could be construed later as taking an action that would be aggressive against Trump. I think personally, uh, a president can be indicted. There is certainly a difference of opinion amongst legal scholars. And what this is, the Office of Legal Counsel has issued an opinion, which is essentially guidance for the attorneys in the Justice Department. The Office of Legal Counsel is, a, a, is like the lawyers to the lawyers at the Justice Department, so to speak. Now, it, it's not entirely a sure, a sure thing that, that that would be followed by Mueller. Mueller could seek to indict the president and Rosenstein could either refuse or go along with it. Uh, and then that, could, that matter could go to Congress if, if Rosenstein refused. But frankly, my belief is that Mueller would choose not to indict, even if he thought that he had the authority to do so, or he might arguably have the authority to do so, because he's a cautious, conservative man. And we know, for example, when Kenneth Starr was faced with the possibility of indicting uh, Bill Clinton, 
he didn't do so. And I think everyone agrees that Ken Starr is a zealous guy. He actually had a, uh, a legal opinion that said he could indict the president, and he ended up not doing it. The sad reality is, as to Trump, uh, we are faced with impeachment as the remedy for Trump. And that's tough because the Republicans in Congress have not done their job in terms of oversight and checking the president. I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to dispassionately look at the evidence uh, and uh, hold him accountable for uh, crime. Certainly, I think at this point, there's no question that the president has committed obstruction of justice. Uh, but, you know, I, that makes it even more important that we elect Democrats in November. And that is a election that really will determine uh, the future of this country. And, and so do you think that Mueller's going to write a report? Is there going to be multiple reports or how is he going to play his hand next? So if you asked me a year ago, um, I would tell I would have told you that I think Mueller would it would write one long report that would discuss everything he knew and that he would not write any kind of report until the end of his entire investigation. However, uh, we have heard a lot of news reports that Mueller is preparing a report on obstruction of justice and that he he plans to present that early. Uh, I think that might be pot- potentially in response to criticism that you know, his investigation has taken too long or that it's, uh, you know, it's never ending. Uh, We have seen other signs that Mueller has taken some steps in response to that public criticism. In any event, uh, it's pretty clear to me that uh, an obstruction report is going to find that uh, Trump obstructed justice. If it didn't, it would be because of some what I'll call a technicality, some legalism, like uh, the, the idea that perhaps an FBI investigation is not a proceeding or something like that. But I think Trump's intent is pretty clear. I would be surprised if Mueller found that he didn't obstruct justice. And at that point, uh, what would happen is this would play out in Congress, and then Mueller would continue to investigate. And I think after recent events on, on Friday, uh, there's no question that uh, the investigation is continuing. And just follow up question on that. Can can Trump's tweets be used as evidence? Absolutely. They're a statement of his. So your statements could always be used against you. Um, and so that's why if I was his attorney, I would keep his fingers away from the keyboard. Uh, there, there's a lot of things he said that are very, very damning. We had a recent tweet that I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about uh, because I found it so incredibly disturbing, uh, which is that tweet where uh, Trump suggested, or was he was angry actually at Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions for not quashing the indictments of two Republican congressmen because he said it would help, they would lose the election, uh, their elections as a result. Uh, that's literally that is as corrupt as it gets. <laughs> that is the President of the United States suggesting that the Justice Department should be used to help his friends and harm his enemies. Very scary stuff. Can he take? Can he can he claim that he didn't write the tweets? He didn't send them out, and somebody else did it, or it's his responsibility because it's his account? Wow, these are these are great questions. <laughs> these are great questions. Actually, he could as a def- he could raise the issue of the fact that he didn't write them. That would be a one probably one of the best things that he could do if he said, "Well, it's actually Dan Scavino or something like that." Uh, so you know, who is his social media? A guy. Uh, the, now, it is true, however, as a legal matter, you've got it right on both counts. It's true as a legal matter that he has what's called adopted the statement. In other words, this came out on his, his own Twitter account under his own name. It's not like he took 
back the statement, you know, 10 seconds later or 10, 10 minutes later or an hour later or a day later. He has kept that statement up there. He hasn't retracted it in any way. At this point, um, a court would certainly find for purposes of admitting the evidence against him that he has adopted the statement as his own. Um, just like if I tweeted something out, even if I could let my friend use my, my uh, phone and he tweeted it out on my behalf, if I um, if it went out and there was some hubbub over it and I did nothing, it's out under my name, uh, and I have essentially at a certain point adopted the statement. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. We really appreciate Renato taking the time to speak with us this weekend, even while fighting through a cold. If you want more of his legal insight, then follow him on Twitter. It's at Renato, R-E-N-A-T-O underscore Mariotti, M-A-R-I-O-T-T-I. Make sure you follow him. Listen to the rest of our discussion, which starts by asking, how do we prevent people from cheating in American elections and then benefiting from office? Switching gears, Donald Trump's an unindicted co-conspirator in a pair of uh, very serious election crimes that his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, has pled guilty to him directing, yet he has already received the benefit of those crimes and obtained a public office and continues to govern the country. Well, quote-unquote, govern the country. Uh, obviously, <laughs> impeachment and subsequent prosecution isn't a sufficient deterrent. What kind of new legislation do you think can be written to keep anyone else from cheating in an election and then using due process to keep their ill-gotten public office, including a president? So Senator Warren has already come up with a piece of legislation that I think is valuable, that combats corruption. Uh, but I think we're going to need to go further. And I really hope that over time, once Trump does leave office one way or another, that we can do this in a nonpartisan fashion because we really need to rebuild the institutions in this country and faith in this country. Uh, we need uh, a presidency that is accountable to the people, not above the law, not above the American people, but is required to disclose facts to the American people, whether it's your tax returns uh, or how your campaign works, uh, and is held accountable when it breaks the law. So from my perspective, corruption is a uh, under-discussed uh, issue in the November elections, and it's an under-discussed issue in this country more generally. We've got one party that isn't discussing it at all, and in our party, understandably, um, there's a lot of different issues that concern people. We've got families separated at the border, and we have a president lying about what happened in Puerto Rico and so on and so forth. There's a, a number of horrors. I mean, Roe versus Wade may be overturned soon. And, and all those issues are important. But but to me, the, the corruption that we that we see here, which I just talked about a moment ago, the president of the United States announcing his corruption to the public, uh, the corruption and, – and you mentioned another piece of corruption where we literally have – the president of the United States implicated in a crime by his own lawyer who said that he was directed by the president to commit a crime. No outrage, no oversight. The only investigation is being is occurring in Manhattan. And, and if the president is not indicted, then there's really no 
consequence there at all. I do think in for that for that case, there will be a New York State investigation where there have been reports that that is ongoing. Uh, that has to be a problem and a concern for Trump because um, you know that that obviously would not result in a pardon for him and that and New York could be very aggressive about pursuing an indictment versus uh, an, uh, you know going with the impeachment route. And you had said that uh, Manafort probably already spilled all his beans. Uh, you know, if he talked about that Trump Tower meeting with Natalia Vetoslavskaya, um, is his testimony all that Mueller will really need if if Manafort, let's say, uh, said that, you know, they conspired to get dirt on Hillary or whatever? Uh, how much evidence do you need to prove conspiracy between the campaign and Russia's government? Is it already out there? Um, or do they need more? Do they need testimony from Manafort or more people? Or how many people do you need to prove that uh, Trump and the campaign conspired against conspired with Russia against uh, the United States? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, what, what I would say is that it's a matter of judgment as to a prosecutor. And, and I'll give you mine. Uh, first of all, I would say that Paul Manafort standing alone is never going to be enough evidence to prove anything because Paul Manafort is a convicted fraudster. So I, I would not expect a jury uh, to rely on the word of Paul Manafort. And I think it would be unethical for a federal prosecutor to ask someone to convict anyone based on the word and say so of Paul Manafort. Uh, so I would not suggest that that, that is sufficient at all. Um, that said, uh, I think what, what, what Mueller would be looking for is the testimony, in this case of Paul Manafort, corroborated, in other words, backed up by, the, by a lot of other evidence, whether that's emails or documents or the testimony of other people. And that, that would be important. And I will tell you, a lot of people have talked to, um, I believe it was the, the House and Senate Intelligence Committee about that Trump Tower meeting. There's been a lot, you know, number of statements in which uh, people have um, said nothing much happened at that meeting. I don't know whether anything happened there or not, uh, for sure, because you know we don't know the truth of that. But you know, if 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 Paul Manafort says actually what happened was something different, it actually may be easier for Mueller to prove a false statement was was made to Congress than to prove something beyond that. One thing I, I really want people to understand, it's, it's, a, it's something that I try to make sure all of my followers on Twitter or people who listen to my podcast understand, is that proving crimes beyond a reasonable doubt is, is really difficult. Uh, and we saw that with the Manafort trial, where the man was facing overwhelming evidence and we couldn't get a jury to agree on all of the counts anyway. Uh, it's not easy to do. And so federal prosecutors are usually trying to uh, uh, charge crimes as narrowly as possible. They're looking for overwhelming evidence. Uh, and so, you know, as to these bigger issues of what people call is collusion, I really think what we're going to ultimately see is sometimes uh, a crime that's more narrow, uh, but a crime nonetheless, um, if, if, we get, uh, if we get all the evidence out there. And this, this one is a very personal question because it affected me personally and our, our group and the resistance but um and you may not be aware of this but uh, the russian embassy in the uk sent a public uh, targeted veiled threat to me when i was investigating the russia scandal and pushing for a special counsel yates and clapper to testify etc it led to me being one of the most trolled accounts on all of twitter in 2017 it, there was a lot of harassment after that um they said something along the lines of keep calling trump putin's puppet uh and it was directly from their official verified account 
how can we protect Americans from foreign adversaries that want to harass Americans individually, one by one? Because that's happened a lot. Uh, and I'm not sure how we can protect uh, Americans from that, because it, it also deters people from being there. Because if they get a veiled threat from somebody, they may just remove themselves from social media. Uh, how can we protect Americans from that? So uh, that's that's very disturbing to hear. And in fact, I've spoken to somebody else who has faced similar uh, behavior from the Russian government, uh, has been under attack uh, from them publicly. And it's troubling. I, I, I When I was a federal prosecutor, I had people threaten my life. Uh, you know, a guy escaped from prison who had wanted to kill me. But there's there's a big difference. Uh, between a lone criminal and a foreign government that has all sorts of power. Uh, I know if I was in your shoes, I would be afraid and concerned. I mean, certainly the Russian government shows very, uh, very little compunction about having any, any, uh, uh, any uh, check on what they're willing to do, right? They're out there poisoning people across, around, across and around the globe. So, you know, what can we do? Well, one thing we can do is strengthen and um, defend our intelligence services. And, you know, we have a great counterintelligence operation here in the United States. The FBI and other agencies, the CIA, do a great job uh, defending us from intelligence efforts. And we need to um, defend them instead of having a president who tears them down. But I think we also have more action at the federal and state level to protect our nation from Russian attempts, not only to spread uh, disinformation, but also, and this is a subject you haven't talked about, but also uh, they have cyber attacks against our country. You know, I, I'm doing this interview from Chicago, which is where I live, and in my state, half a million People had their personal information stolen by the Russians. Their, you know, their uh, dates of birth and addresses and, and partial social security numbers and so on. So Russia's engaging in ongoing attacks, uh, whether it's against you or it's against our uh, electoral system. And we need to be doing whatever we can to defend our nation. And I think this is an area where our elected representatives have failed us. You know, our nation is under attack by Russia. It's being you know, influenced by Russians. Uh, people are citizens are being harassed as you are threatened as, as you're, you have been. Um, and we also have you know, cyber intrusions and so on. And we aren't taking that seriously enough. How do you think this all ends for Donald? It's a great question. Right after Cohen implicated Trump in a crime, I wrote a piece for Politico magazine and talked about what it does for what that what the effect of that was. And I thought it was profound because before Cohen did that, what I really thought was Trump was winning in a sense, in and not winning in a legal sense, a strictly legal sense, but he had done a great job on the PR side of things. You know, you and I could both recite because we're both the targets of Russian trolls, and we also pay attention to what Trump says. We can recite all the buzzwords that the Trump uh, team and Trump associates and the Russians used to describe the Mueller investigation, you know, witch hunt, hoax, uh, angry Democrats, and so on. They've done a very good job of branding that. No collusion. You know, on our side, the uh, branding hasn't always been as good. The PR uh, spin hasn't always been as good. And for a period of time, the favorables for Mueller had gone down. That has changed. That changed when Michael Cohen uh, went into court and said that Trump uh, directed him to commit a crime. That was something that 
didn't fit into those narratives. There's no, it's not Mueller. Uh, there, it's not uh, anything about collusion. It's just the president's own lawyer uh, saying he committed a crime. But also, uh, we've had the conviction of Paul Manafort, and uh, now the plea deal of Paul Manafort. I think the tide is turning in terms of the Mueller investigation and the public's perception of it. And that matters because ultimately, uh, the fate of the Trump presidency will be determined by Congress. And they are a bunch of politicians who care about what public opinion said. Now, if Trump has 34 Republican senators who will vote against removal no matter what, uh, then I think he is able to get away with a lot because he can pardon all of his friends. He can pardon his family. Um, he could even step down and have Pence pardon him. That's why I think electing uh, Democrats to Congress is so important. Uh, and it's also why I think that um, all of these other investigations and problems um, are important as well. I think at a certain point, it's going to take public opinion shifting uh, to a stage where Republicans feel that they can't support uh, Trump or we're going to have to vote his uh, butt out in 2020. And we need people like you in Congress. That's what we need. Uh, how can how can our listeners follow you online? So, sure. So first of all, I have um, a podcast of my own called On Topic, On Topic with Renato Mariotti, and it's available on all your favorite uh, podcast apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts uh, or Stitcher or so on. Uh, last week we had Neil Katyal, the former Solicitor General, on talking about Kavanaugh. This week it's going to be uh, Joyce Fanson and I talking about uh, the uh, Manafort uh, plea deal, cooperation deal. Uh, and then, um, you know, we have we kind of cover a timely topic every week. Um, and then obviously uh, we've got I'm, I'm always very active on Twitter uh, at Renato underscore Mariotti. That's R-E-N-A-T-O underscore M-A-R-I-O-T-T-I. Uh, I also have uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat and, and all that good stuff. Renato Mariani, thank you so much. I hope that you run for office again. And uh, like I said, I'm sure that a lot of my listeners and myself included would support uh, anything you run for. And so I, I hope there's a future for you there um, that you plan on running for office in the future. Because we need more people like you that can speak out and know what they're talking about. And I can't thank you enough for your backbone and everything you've done for this country and, and standing up for Americans, uh, unlike our Congress is doing. So, so thank you again for taking the time today and thank you for everything you do. Thanks Scott. And thank you for all you're doing. Uh, we, we all need to do everything we can to uh, put a, put a stop to the Trump presidency. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Renato Mariotti. And if you like what you heard, I hope that you take a minute and find him on Twitter at Renato R E N A T O underscore Mariotti M A R I O T T I and flip through your podcast app to find his brand new weekly pod called On Topic with Renato Mariotti. I think we learned a lot this week about the hard facts of life for Paul Manafort that led him to cut a deal to cooperate with Robert Mueller's special counsel probe. And by now, Mueller's probably learned a heck of a lot about Trump too. Renato Mariotti mentioned that prosecutors like to quote-unquote lock in the testimony of cooperators as soon as they can which might explain why Paul Manafort pled guilty on a Friday, which appears to be the day that Mueller's grand jury is regularly convened. I'd like to thank my producer, Grant Stern. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!